0: Welcome to Let's Talk Law, the Law Careers podcast for students at King's College London. I'm Caroline Lintner, one of the greatest consultants for the Dixon Poon School of Law, and today we'll be speaking with Emily Cusner, who graduated from King's in 2011 before studying for the LPC at the University of Law. Emily then completed her training contract at LickNatus LLP, during which time she also completed a client's secondment in Abu Dhabi and a secondment to the Hong Kong office. In 2013, she qualified as a solicitor into the corporate private equity team and later was promoted to Managing Associate when she was ranked as a rising star in the Legal 500. In 2020, she moved to Schroeder as a FTSE 100 Asset Manager to pursue a career as an in-house lawyer specialising in mergers and acquisitions. Welcome, Emily. Thank you very much for being on our podcast today. Hi,
1: Caroline. Thank you for having me.
0: So my first question, which I ask all of our guests in the podcast, is really to tell us a little bit about why you decided to study for your degree and why King. So you did a law degree at King. So tell us a little bit about the decisions that you made for why law and why King's College London.
1: Absolutely. So I knew I wanted to do some kind of profession. I think, and I was not particularly great at maths or science, so that ruled medicine out. <laughs> and I was definitely more gifted uh, in the arts, so so law um, felt like the the right choice. I was also very fortunate to have an excellent law A-level teacher, although I now understand that studying law at A-level is is controversial, Um, but I'm really glad I did actually because it really gave me a taste for it. So that was, I think, why law? Um, Why kings? Um, I'm a farmer's daughter, and grew up in the countryside, and so the idea of moving to a big city, and obviously the the biggest city in, in England being London, felt like absolutely the right choice, and and a, and a really exciting one at that. So um, it was a it was actually an, an easy choice to choose London, and then choosing Kings an even easier one because there is no more central London University. You know, you're right there in the heart and action of it all, which uh, which was great. And and on the first tour I did, seeing the Worn Library, I think I was I was sold instantly.
0: Well that's great to hear and I'm sure many of our listeners will will identify with that. So tell us a little bit about your student experience, what sort of things did you get involved with and perhaps tell us a little bit about you know what memories you have of your time at King's.
1: So I I kept myself busy, I was president of the Barrister Society in my second year, uh, also heavily involved with the Pro Bono Society on, on the legal side um, and then on the kind of the non-law side, I was fortunate to be very close friends with the, the group of people who set up the radio station, which I'm, I'm hoping is still in existence. Um, and so I ended up doing kind of some of the, the social organizing for the, for the radio, which which was great fun. Um, and then in terms of key memories, I guess, to be honest, the, the absolute standout one and still the fondest is, is just Waterloo Bridge. And when I was there most of the lectures were held on the Waterloo campus and then you'd go over to the School of Law on the Strand so I would constantly be spending all day walking back across the bridge and just I I remember so often thinking how lucky am I to be right in the heart of all of this and you know a student and studying and making use of all these incredible you know lectures and activities so yeah the the standout actually has to be just Waterloo Bridge which I appreciate might be a bit of an
0: odd one. (laughs) No, I mean, you're the second person we've had on the podcast who said that actually. So uh, that's very, it's very interesting. And, you know, surroundings are very important. So as I said in my introduction, you are a qualified solicitor, but I'm interested that you were involved with the Barristers Society there uh, at King's. So perhaps tell us a little bit more about why you decided to pursue a career as a solicitor on that side of the profession. Absolutely.
1: So I think, I always, when I started at university, I always had in my mind that the bar was where I wanted to go. I'd completed a um, kind of work experience at school at the Crown Prosecution Service and just fallen in love with the courtroom. Um, and so I always thought that's where I wanted to be and then did a lot of mini-pupilages and obviously was president at the Barrister's Society. But I think through that and then being able to compare it to all of the vacation schemes at the law firms, it just did feel... Lonelier to me I think you're you're very much on your own much more often and actually I just found that I was happier and and able to give more of myself in the rooms in the law firms with multiple people all kind of working together collaborating to come up with the right ideas and it just felt like a much more natural fit to me being completely honest as well it's it's a simpler path for someone of my background I think The the bar is still, and and I'm hoping it's getting better and better even since I looked at it, but it's still quite inaccessible um, and it's very expensive and there's no guarantee that you're going to be making money. Whereas law firms, you know, and call it golden handcuffs if you will, but actually they offer you a fantastic route into a really good career. You know, they'll fund your LPC, they'll fund you to live in London while you're doing it, and then you start on a really great salary as well. So actually, for me, as much as I also it felt like the right choice and fit for me, it was also a much simpler decision and it would involve you know much less cost and, and kind of concern and worry at that time and anxiety, I guess, getting in there.
0: And they're really important considerations when you are deciding what you want to do. It isn't just all about the content of the job. It's also the lifestyle that you're wanting to um, to attain for yourself. And, and that's that's an important um, consideration. So as someone who has. You know made it as a solicitor how did you navigate the application interview process lots of our students are very get very stressed about this and i think that's totally natural um but you know what sort of top tips did you do you can you pass on and how did you go about um approaching that time during your job search
1: um i think my friend would say i was very miserable <laughs> but um <laughs> but actually i just really and unfortunately i don't think there is a shortcut here and and if there is i'd love to hear about it i just threw myself in and worked really hard at completing as many of the application forms as i could as early as possible i made sure i had a good spread across a couple of magic circle a couple of us firms a couple of mid-tier a couple of smaller firms i made sure while i was at university i was doing as much work experience you know (laughs) i remember coming home in my first year and this was at a point where i know that law firms now do great schemes for first-year students they didn't have any of that when i was there and so i remember coming home in the summer thinking i have to be doing something and so i scrawled the yellow pages in my small hometown and i ended up working for a personal injury solicitors in one of the small villages nearby absolutely awful um but it was something that I could put on my application form to say I've worked in an office I've had some office experience this is this area of the law this is why I don't think it's for me but this is what I've learned from it and so I would recommend as weird as it sounds just trying to do anything and even putting down things like your part-time job if you've got one you know I was a waitress but I managed to twist it to say this is how I've learned that this particular hotel makes money you know so you could actually twist it to be more commercial I think the commercial awareness in terms of top tips is a really difficult one and someone gave me a great piece of advice um, which i would pass on to anyone which is don't sit there panicking about the fact that you've not read the financial times cover to cover or the economist or anything like that because i absolutely certainly hadn't at that point in my life and just put yourself re- pick one story at the time for me it was when um, Cadbury and cabri and craft craft uh, was buying cabri and they so said just pick yourselves in the shoes of the CEO of Cadbury or CEO of Craft and think, what would they care about? And it really is as simple as that. It's so much commercial common sense and it doesn't involve you needing to read all of the financial press at all. So my advice, I guess in short, would be just throw, throw yourself in and it's worth giving up those extra nights at the student union for because in the long run, it really pays off. But unfortunately, there is no shortcut and just you know, throw yourself into it.
0: And I really like that piece of advice about breaking things down. Um, And I think that's certainly something we encourage students to do when they're facing different elements of assessment centres, which are very commonplace these days. So let's talk about the training contract. Um, You know, students spend so long trying to get one. But actually, what is it really like, Emily? Look, I'd be lying to you if I said
1: it was a complete dream and paradise walk in the park it's hard Um, and I think actually it's really important for everyone to know that, that it is going to be you know a hard two years but I would go and do it again in a heartbeat and I would recommend it to everyone in terms of starting a career because it is just the most condensed form of learning you can do and it's so exciting and it's so challenging and you're learning from people at the top of their professions and that is just an amazing thing and you're meeting people that will become your friends for life I mean in the last few years I have been bridesmaid at countless weddings you know all for people that I met and we you know did our time together in the training contract because there is no better way when you're kind of working all day and all night together than you know to make friends um so it, it is hard and it is challenging, but it's also incredibly rewarding. And I think the best way to, to kickstart a career, um, and it's it goes so fast. You know, you're you're only in those seats. I know different firms have different models, but at Linklaters, you know, you're only in those seats for six months times four. I was very fortunate to spend two of those abroad in Abu Dhabi and Hong Kong. Um, and it's just yeah, amazing experience. So look forward to it, but be prepared for the challenge.
0: I think that's great, uh, great piece of advice, and and it is important to know what you're letting yourself in for, in advance as much as you can do. So you've specialised in private equity and private M and A. What does that actually mean, Emily? Tell me, try and break that down for me and my uh, our listeners. I can try. Um,
1: so I mean, in its in its most simple form, it's buying and selling companies or entering into joint ventures. Um, and I think the best way, I mean. I guess to say the reason why I love it so much is probably a good way to explain it, which is to say that it's actually very commercial and it's really about finding out what makes a company tick, what makes a company make money, how does that company have value and then also what are the risks associated with that company because that's the only way you can advise your client whether they want to actually buy that company and how they protect themselves when they buy it and also what you know that you know, your counterpart is going to look out for if you're trying to sell something to them. Um, also, then you've got the flip side of a joint venture where you've got different concerns of this is really, I mean, at its most important, this is a a contract for a, a new relationship that you're forming. How are you going to tackle these problems that might arise together? How are you going to control that entity together? Who has the bigger stake? Who has the smaller stake? And um, well, you know, how does that have an impact on the overall transaction? On the private equity side, there's also a management piece. So sometimes you're buying straight from managers, people who have started companies in their back gardens and are now selling them for millions of pounds. Sometimes you want to keep those management on board. Often in private equity, you do. So you're trying to find a way to incentivize that management team. And these are really human issues. You know, these are these are real people and this is their babies. These are their companies. You know, how do you encourage them to stay on board and also encourage them that you're going to be the right home for their, for their baby? So there's lots of kind of very commercial, value driven, personal issues in, in all of private equity and, and private M&A, which is why I love it so much and why I think it's such an interesting area of law. I'm not entirely sure I answered your question there and more has told you why I liked it, but hopefully that's OK.
0: <laughs> no, that, that was really helpful. Thank you. And I guess a follow up question. Did you always want to specialise in those areas? Absolutely not. I, um,
1: when I was studying at university and then when I did the LBC, I was adamant I wanted to do project finance because I saw wind farms and all of those kind of things as something really concrete that I could you know, get my teeth into and, and in the long run say, I, I, you know, I helped fund this. Um, and I did a seat in the project finance team and with no disrespect for them at all, I absolutely hated it. It just was not for me at all um and yet then doing a seat in the corporate team you know completely changed you know over my eyes and i and i loved it and i'm still doing corporate law now and loving it so yeah for, for me it was a case of my advice to anyone would be never go into anything with your you know absolute focus because it can easily change when you actually see the departments and how they work
0: yeah And, I mean, how did you deal with that disappointment? Because you sounded like you were really thinking about project finance for a long time, and then it wasn't what you thought it was going to be.
1: I think I was fortunate in that I had already done my seat in
0: corporate at
1: that point in time. And so I'd already seen something else that I loved. Um, And so when it didn't measure up to that, actually, it became an easier decision. And then when it came to my final seat... I then decided to double up and do corporate again, but in Hong Kong this time. And so I was able to just, you know, basically I sandwiched corporate or sandwiched project finance between two corporate seats. So it, it wasn't too disappointing in the end.
0: <laughs> you had that comparator, which is important, isn't it? Um, during your time at Nick Laters, um, I know from our previous discussion, that you regularly interviewed candidates for vacation skis and trading contracts. I know that our listeners are going to be really interested in what you say on this. What did you look for when you were interviewing candidates?
1: So by the time they've got to us for an interview, they have been already through such a process in terms of the application form and being tested. We we know that even to get to our stage, they are smart. They are going to know what they're doing. So for me, really, it wasn't necessarily testing how smart they are or you know whether they can do the job because that, you know that's kind of been tested already what I was really testing if I'm being completely honest is would I happily have this individual as my trainee which would mean sitting in my office they're not huge offices there's only two of you in there would I be happy with that person sitting in my office every day for the next six months and working long days and long nights with that person and there's lots of things that feed into that that are they enthusiastic are they cool-headed are they able to kind of keep calm under pressure do I think that they've You know, they're able to mold into the team and and, and work with everyone. And so that for me, and I'm sure different interviewers test different things for me, that was what I was really testing. And I know a lot of other interviews do test for that. And so my advice would be, you've already proven you're smart enough. Don't panic about, you know, going in there and, and telling, you know, the interviewer everything you know. We know, you know, a lot. Go in there and be calm, be measured, take time to answer the questions be enthusiastic, be keen, show the interviewer why you want to be there. And, um, and I and, you know, that, that was always, for me, the standout candidates. Um, and I appreciate, because I've been there, how easy that is to say and how hard it is to do in practice. But just take a breath and take a moment and realise that we desperately want the best candidates. And we are not trying to trip you up. We are trying to encourage you to bring the best out of you. And um, so really see it as that kind of conversation,
0: I think is key. And I I always say to candidates and uh, students, and I hope I've saying the right thing, but I want to check it with you, that, you know, they know that you don't know everything. And a big part of law school and the training contract is learning that. And the law firm that sponsors you and trains you and employs you ultimately is going to want to develop you. Is, is that the right thing to be saying to students?
1: That's absolutely the right thing to be saying. Um, and I think so. I know just before I left, Linklater, and I think it's probably the same now they do the case study, um, which is actually, a, I mean, in terms of great opportunities in life to be able to, you know, even if you're unsuccessful in the interview, to have had that experience of doing a case study with a managing associate and a top partner at a Magic Circle law firm is an amazing experience to have. Um, but we know that you've not got any experience doing this before, but and we're trying to to take it like a conversation you know it, we encourage you to kind of say this is what i'm thinking but actually am i thinking along the right lines you know open up make it more of a conversation um and and it goes back to what i was saying about the commercial awareness before we don't expect you to know all the answers but just put yourself in the case study in the individuals in the case study in their shoes And you'd be amazed how simple it is when you break it down to that. What would you actually care about? And we're not asking you to use all of the right lingo or terminology, but just talk about it.
0: That's really great advice. Thank you. So uh, again, I said in my introduction that you you're now no longer at Linklaters. You've moved to Schroders, so you are um, working as an in-house lawyer, and that's. That's a very well trodden path from going for private practice to working in a company. Tell us about your current role at Schroder's, what does it involve?
1: Your intro there has reminded me that I've probably a million times said we and, and acted like I'm currently at Linklaters, which uh, I will say is a constant problem uh, to even more than two years down the line of being at Schroder's. Um, I will say I was at Linklaters for, for just under a decade and it and it really was, you know, I did all my growing up there. and. It's a very special place and it really does become kind of part of your family. So, so moving away from it was hard. So, I guess to move on to, to answer your question, it's interesting because I wasn't looking to leave. So, I was having a, a fantastic time at Linklaters. My career there was going really well. Um, and I was on a deal um, with Traders, actually, Traders were my client, um, helping them buy a company that they now own called Blue Orchard. And during that transaction, I got on really well with the team at Traders. Um, And a few months later, uh, one of the team at Schroder's uh, called up and said, look, we're looking for for an M&A lawyer. Is there any way that you'd be interested? And actually, I just thought, well, it's rare that an opportunity comes along like this. So I'll explore it. But actually, not sure. Anyway, I explored it. It turned out to be an incredible opportunity. Uh, Peter Harrison, the, the CEO of Schroder's has, you know, amazing strategic aims to grow the business um, organically and inorganically and expand in certain areas like private assets. And um, so there's a, you know, there was a huge amount of drive in the business to do more MA and look at more opportunities. Um, and, and it's just been fantastic. Um, so my role here now is really just kind of specializing in, in merchant acquisitions. But the last deal we did, in fact, just completed this week was to acquire a company called Greencoat Capital, which is one of Europe's largest renewables investment managers. Um, and so I, I feel like coming full circle almost back to some project finance now, which is uh, which is
0: great. <laughs> and And what's the biggest difference you've you know you've identified between being in private practice and and in-house because it, it is something that some, many of our students are thinking about long term, but sometimes it's quite hard to understand what the differences are. To be honest, the differences are pretty huge,
1: Um, but also the job is fundamentally the same. I think I spend much more of my time now explaining the concepts to the senior team internally and making sure that everyone internally has bought into what we're doing and is okay and comfortable with the risk protection that we're putting in place um, and the value protection that we're putting in place. So a lot more of it is kind of an education piece and a... I say a collaboration piece, I'm not sure that, that makes much sense, but making sure that the business is joined together and, and everyone knows what's going forward. Rather than sitting there, as I would do at Linklaters, and kind of deep in a you know in a, in a big document and making sure that the technical drafting works, obviously I now send that out more to law firms and I spend more of my time making sure that it works for the business. One of the things I love about it is that my job now is much more kind of strategy-based. So now I get involved earlier in the discussions and now I'm much more part of, is this the right fit for Schroeder's and how do we make sure that Schroder's interests are adequately protected? Um, which I find really exciting and is a really good kind of pivot. But there's also the the joy at Link of working for, you know, lots of different clients across lots of different types of matters. So so they are, yeah, they are fundamentally pretty different.
0: Yeah, and Schroders obviously is your client. It's- day in day out they are your clients and that that is one of the biggest differences isn't it You say okay and we've come to the uh, final question Emily um what's the best piece of a career of career advice you have received and why was it the best piece
1: I thought I've been thinking about this um and I think there were a few I mean at don't there was lots of fantastic advice around finding mentors and finding sponsors which I think is really valuable Um, and the difference between mentors and sponsors, which I certainly wasn't particularly familiar with early on. But that's the difference between finding someone who you can go to with your concerns and worries and talk it out, you know, your your mentor, but then finding someone who actually is going to be the person in the right room shouting for you. And I think as you go into your career, it's really important to work out who the right mentors are and who the right sponsors are. Um, I think my, if I were to give a, a piece of career advice, which I think I, you know, I did gain as time goes on, it is just put in the time now. If I were to go back and speak to myself at university, the law degree, a law degree is unbelievably hard. I, you know, I, I found it a real struggle. And in my second year, you've got all the hardest modules, trusts I'm calling out in particular. Um, and then you've got, you know, all of your things on the side. So I was president of the Barrister Society doing pro bono. You're doing a million application forms for different things. You're trying to do vacation schemes. You're trying to do other work experience. You're trying to have the social life. And and I realized that I, I felt at the time like I was giving up so much. And I remember sitting there thinking, am I going to really regret this because I'm not having that crazy, amazing world university experience that people talk about? And actually, I have never looked back I have had the most amazing career today had the most incredible experiences working internationally at top organizations and I would never have been able to do that had I not dedicated that time and got involved as I did at King's so my advice to your listeners I think would just be I know it's hard but it is so 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 worth it so just keep keep going
0: I I couldn't have put it better myself, but thank you so much for that that brilliant piece of advice. Before I let you go, Emily, um, I just want to remind our listeners that we'll be back soon with another episode of Let's Talk Law to speak with another one of our uh, graduates, but in the meantime, and on behalf of our listeners, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been really interesting hearing about your career, your time at King's and also, um, you know, what you're doing uh, today at Schroder's. It sounds fascinating. So thank you so much for your time. um, And we hope to welcome you back to King's in the not too distant future.